congregation of the Lord, as we continue in our studies, life and time of Abraham, we have come to the closing years of Sarah's life and also of Abram's life as well, although I believe we could uh, find one more uh, sermon at least in the life of time of Abram, as the Lord willing. But did you know that the only land in Canaan that Abram could ever claim as to be his possession was the gravesite of his beloved Sarah. Yes, God had promised, as you know, God had promised Abram that he and his offspring should one day possess the whole land of Canaan, all of it. But the most that Abram could legally ever call his own in his lifetime was a small cemetery plot with a little bit of field around it. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 9 was correct when he wrote about Abram, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. The land of Canaan, therefore, as a land of promise, remained a foreign land for Abraham, an unclaimed land for him, except then for Sarah's gravesite. But even the obtaining of this burial plot became an act of faith for Abram, as many of the instances, as we have found out already, were acts of faith in the life of Abram. Well, also, the, the very purchase of this burial plot was an act of faith on Abram's side. I hope to show this to you as we continue in this series in the lifetime of Abram and consider this time then the death of, of Sarah and Abram's purchase of her grave site. And we'll do that in the following way in the theme and division. Abram's faith by Sarah's death and burial. In the first place, Abram's faith in grieving Sarah's death. Secondly, Abram's faith in arranging her burial. And then thirdly, Abram's faith in what it declares to us, you and me. Now, congregation, the time of departure has arrived for Sarah The Lord gave her 127 years, but for Sarah came also the moment of death. For Sarah, we know that it was a departing to be with the Lord in whom she had learned to trust over these years. For Sarah, therefore, as the Apostle Paul would later explain it, for Sarah also, death was gain for her, but for Abram. Understandably, it was a great loss. We are told, for instance, in in verse 2 of our text chapter, that Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And I believe that no one amongst us can understand these words better than those who have lost wife or husband through death. And you who are a wife, you who are a husband... May I make a small application in this respect? See to it that you love each one of each one sincerely, that you love one another 
sincerely because we do not know how long we have yet for each other. This past week, I received the news from Violent, and that was the congregation that I grew up in, that a dear brother, Brother Bertie Young, uh, a member of the consistory, and one who also went with me to Israel, that brother Bertie Young, suddenly passed away, 69 years old. And so we don't have to be uh, extremely old. 69 in this day and age is not all that old. But he passed away of a heart attack. And his wife is left to grieve him. And so we understand and we should understand that we could pass away at any time. And as husband and wife, let us always be very, very sincere in our love and our kindness towards each other. Be faithful to each other. Be faithful. Show your appreciation to each other. Because someday, who knows how soon, the day of death will also come. And you will come then to mourn for the one that you have married. Abram came to mourn for Sarah. Abram came to express his grief at the loss of his dear wife. The married life had been long. It had been eventful. More than a hundred years together as husband and wife. That doesn't happen very much, does it, today? More than half of those years, however... Um, were, were childless for them. At last, we know, and we learned that the last time when I preached on the series of the birth of Isaac, Isaac was born, and Abram and, 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 and Sarah could see him grow up into a strong young man, <clears throat> and more importantly, they could see him grow up in a young man who loved the Lord sincerely and wanted to serve the Lord. And I believe that that part of their married life particularly was a joyful time, a time in which they could rejoice in what God had given them. And what a joy that is to any family when father and mother can see and understand that, that son or daughter wants to serve the Lord with sincerity. What a joy it can bring when father and mother can see that the Lord has done a mighty work in their son or daughter. Abram and Sarah, they had some 27 years together in seeing their son Isaac. After all, their son Isaac was named Isaac Laughter, that their son of laughter grew up in order to serve and to love the Lord. But one day, this peace and this joy in the family circle came to a sad end. Sarah so we read in verse 2, Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Apparently, apparently this family had moved back uh, from Beersheba to the place where they ended up the first time, that is in the land of Canaan, that is particularly in the area of Hebron. And you can read of that in Hebrews, uh, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 18. And it is there, therefore, in Hebron that Sarah died. <clears throat> now, it is significant that the Bible tells us that Sarah died in the land of Canaan, that is, in the land of promise. And it is very closely connected to it that this is, in fact, 
that the Bible tells us that, that Sarah's death died, Sarah, Sarah rather, died in the land of Canaan, and she was also buried in the land of Canaan. And that is significant for us, as I hope to explain. But it is also significant that the Bible records Sarah's age as well. 127 years old when she passed away. There's no other woman in the Bible whose age is given when she passed away. This reminds us, therefore, how important the life and times, not only of Abram were, but also the life and times of Sarah were, because Sarah was an important person in Bible times. Abram was considered to be the father of those who would believe. But we know of Sarah, more specifically, she was considered to be the mother of all the believing women, as we are told in 1 Peter 3, 6, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And so Sarah is significant and her death is significant. And so Sarah died in the land of Canaan, a true mother to all the faithful and all believing women, particularly. And Abram grieved for her. But then we read in verse 3, our text chapter, Then Abram stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth. In other words, burial arrangements were to be made now. And Abram set himself to that particular task, as we may consider this in the second place. Abram's faith in arranging Sarah's burial. <clears throat> now, anyone who has experienced the death of a close relative, a father, mother, wife, husband, child, will know how hard it is to break away from grieving for the dead. How hard it is to break away from such grief. Our natural and our human inclination is just to, to, to lose yourselves in your grief and to be left to mourn for the one who has passed away. But then a wholesome necessity will force us back into active duty again. Life goes on. Duty calls. And it may seem so wrong, perhaps, and so cruel, perhaps, but it can be one of the best ways to cope with grief by taking up your necessary duties as soon as it is reasonably possible again. And one of those wholesome necessities that will bring us back somewhat into active duty is, well, making funeral arrangements. We read, therefore, that Abram stood up before, from before his dead. No, this simply means that Abram gay, came to grips with his grief. He took control of some necessary things. And certainly this did require some self-control on his part given by the Lord God, which he then acquired, as I indicate, through faith in God. He grip, took a grip of his self-control. As such, a detailed arrangement is made so that, and it is recorded for us, so that Abram could eventually bury his beloved Sarah. 
Now, Abram may have been rich in possessions, in cattle, in flocks, in herds, silver and gold, in men, servants, and maidservants, but Abram did not own a single square inch of land in Canaan at that point. And so he spoke to the people who lived in the land at that time, in the land of Canaan, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, so we are told. These are the Hittites, in other words. And he wanted to buy a plot, a burial plot from them. Abram wanted to have a proper burial place for his dearly beloved wife, Sarah. Well, the Hittites, they were very polite towards Abram indeed. They acknowledged him to be a mighty prince amongst them. And obviously, Abram had maintained a good neighborly relationship with them, which, as must be said, is only a Christian thing to do. And so, in their politeness, the Hittites offered Abram to pick any of the burial places of theirs as he wished, and they would gladly accommodate him as well. Abram then made an offer, and he made an official request of the Hittites that they should speak to a certain man by the name of Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he would make the cave of Machpelah available to Abram, which was at the end of a certain field, and that Abram would give him as much money as he required, as it was worth, in other words. Now, all of this, you must remember, occurred at an official meeting between Abram and the Hittites at the gate of the city, so we are told in our text passage, were, which means all the important people of the city were there. The city councilors, the lawyers, the elders, and the merchants, they regularly met at this particular city gate, and they met for various businesses. So at this official business meeting, Abram has offered to purchase the cave of Machpelah from Ephron the Hittite. Now, we need to follow very closely what is going on there. Because upon hearing this, Ephron the Hittite first protested, no doubt in much Middle Eastern flair, as was the custom at that time. He may have said something like, No, Abram, I will give you the field and the cave and give it to you publicly in the presence of the sons of my people. Abram, I give it to you. Bury your dead. But as Abram insisted to pay money for it, Ephron, in turn, turned around and asked for an extremely high price for it. 400 shekels of silver. That means 400 bars of silver. A high price, for instance, in comparison to the field that Jeremiah once bought for 17 shekels or silver bars. Ephron, no doubt, expected Abram to start a a bargaining process in true Middle Eastern fashion in order to get the price down, perhaps. But what did Abram do? To the great surprise of Ephron, and all the witnesses, Abram started no bargaining process whatsoever. 
He did not haggle about the price, but he immediately weighed out the silver of 400 shekels to Ephron. And all the people in the city watched it. They were witness to it. We read then as an official declaration of the sales in verse 17 that the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, were, which were within all the surroundings, borders, were deeded. In other words, officially handed over to Abraham. And so Abram successfully purchased this field and the cave of Machpelah, although it was for an excessive amount of money, to be sure, which included many caretaking responsibilities as well. But the transaction was duly noted, and it was duly recorded as well. And the Bible makes emphasis of that as well. This purchased land was carefully identified, and it was carefully measured out. The silver that was handed for it was acknowledged as fully negotiable with the merchants of the area. And all of this is fully written out for us here in our text chapter, in detail even, so that we have a clear idea of what arrangements Abram made for the burial of Sarah, his beloved wife. Now, there are a few things of this particular transaction to which I would like to draw your attention. Notice, first of all, that Abram remained polite towards those Hittites through his transaction. These Hittites were not Christians. They were men of the world, and at a certain time, they even became great enemies of Israel. And so the Hittites were men of the world. But Abram remained cordial towards them, even bowing before them and showing them their due respect. Now, this was very Christian, if I may say it that way, of Abraham. He showed right, proper Christian humility, even in a business transaction with men of the world. Notice also Abram's honesty in paying for the property. I am sure that Abram could have obtained this property in some other way, even by force if that was necessary. But Abram was willing to pay for it. He was willing to pay the price that was asked for it, even though it was excessively high in price. Abram was therefore willing, so to speak, to be taken of advantage by the world. And again, this is something of Abram's Christian character that shows out beautifully. I believe that Abram was someone like the Lord Jesus would want to see, as the Lord Jesus describes that for us in Matthew chapter 5. And let me read that for you. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Well, dear people, I believe that Abram was truly a son of the Father in heaven and that he could show this even in the way he transacted this particular business. Now, dear brothers and sisters, how Christian are you and I in our business transactions with those in the world? Are we the type, perhaps, that wants to get whatever we can get out of this world? Perhaps even taking advantage of the world if we can get away with it? Do we perhaps retaliate when we see the world taking advantage of us? Are we always upfront and honest in all of our business transactions, dear people? You see, this is no less Christian than being able to talk as a Christian. Can we also act as a Christian even in our business transactions? Notice also with Abram that he never bothered to purchase a piece of property in Canaan for to live on. He simply bought property in Canaan to function as a grave site. In other words, Abram did not run ahead of God when God promised him the land of Canaan. Abram waited until God gave it to him. But the first landed property of Abram then was just simply a burial plot. Now this brings me to my third heading on Abram's faith by Sarah's death and burial, namely, Abram's faith in what it declares to us, to you and to me. What is so significant in Abram's buying this burial plot for Sarah? And why does the Bible spend a whole chapter on describing all the details and its legitimacy of the business transactions. Why should we actually spend the whole sermon on this particular matter, you might ask? Well, you see, what Abram did there after Sarah's death was what I want to call purely an act of faith on Abram's part. It was an act of faith in respect to the promises that God would someday give Abram and his offspring the land of Canaan, that it would one day belong to Abram and to his descendants, but in his lifetime, Abram would not grasp for it for himself. In his lifetime, Abram showed that he trusted in God that in due time it would be given to his descendants. But for now, Abram, in his faith, trusted in the Lord God, and so he remained stranger and sojourner in the land of Canaan. And that was an act of faith. Now, another thing. The whole matter of this burial. In usual cases, anyone would have died who had died in his clan, especially Sarah or Abram himself, they would have been buried where? In the Father's land, you see. In the land where they came from, Ur of the Chaldees, or, or, or perhaps Haran. That was the custom in that day. That is what would have been expected in that day. That was the custom, in fact, in the Middle East. 
But Abram did not go according to the customs of the land. Abram believed the promise of God that the land of Canaan would one day belong to him and to his descendants. And therefore, he buried his beloved Sarah in the land of Canaan. But in obtaining that burial plot, Abram wanted to keep all things legitimate within the context of the promises of God. Abram did not want to take advantage of the Hittite generosity so that he could later on, so that they could later on say, well, we have benefited Abram. No, Abram wanted to keep that door closed. Abram wanted, therefore, to pay for that piece of land and pay for that piece of land for whatever they wanted of it and pay with it from the riches and the wealth that God had given him. And Abram wanted it done officially as well so that it was recorded, it was deeded, so that the generations following would know that Abram had acted in faith, in faith. Now, congregation, the, the cave of Machpelah, the burial place of Sarah, became then, so to speak, the monument of faith for the descendants of Abraham. At this same place, this monument of faith, Abram was also later buried. And so was Isaac, and so was Rebekah, Isaac's wife. At the same place, Jacob buried his wife Leah. And later on, Jacob also was placed in that same gravesite. He gave instructions to his son Joseph, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Machpelah. And so the cave of Machpelah in the land of Canaan became a monument of Abraham's faith. But now get this. At this present date, this cave of Machpelah is under Islamic jurisdiction. The Islamic people, in fact, have built a mosque over it and considered one of the sacred places of the Islamic faith. And no Christian is allowed to even get close to it. Perhaps, perhaps it is the Lord's way of protecting Christians from worshiping a particular site. After all, you and I, we are called to worship the Lord God. The Lord God whom Abraham believed and trusted in. And therefore, Genesis chapter 23, the chapter we have read together, is therefore, in a certain sense already, a monument of faith for you and for me. Which tells us that Abram believed so strongly the promise of God that he was fully persuaded that they, in God's time, would be fulfilled. In congregation, we know that the promise of God are true. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the promises of God, we meet God as it were in his mercy, in his love, and in his compassion for people, sinful people like you and I, wayward people like you and me. And dear people, we can stake our life on the promises of God. We can venture our ways on those promises as if they are being fulfilled already for us. Even as Abram did it 
when he bought this burial plot. But now the question is, for you and for me, are you and I willing to live the life similar to that of Abraham? Are we willing to live by faith and not by sight? Are we willing to entrust our whole selves to the promises of God that are to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we willing to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior to do for us as He has promised when we go to Him in prayer of confession and faith? Are we willing to entrust our whole sinful self to Him that He can and that He will cleanse us of our sin when we entrust ourselves to Him? Now, if any of us, and that is perhaps a warning that needs to be said as well, if any of us have been unwilling so far, we have some confessing to do, and we have some repenting to do. Remember, unwillingness to believe in Jesus Christ is, in fact, a sin. Let us therefore not use the excuse that, well, I I, I cannot believe... Because if we would say that to the Lord Jesus Christ, he could very bluntly respond to you and to me, no, but you would not believe. And if you felt that you could not believe, why did you not ask me for the gift of faith? Because after all, faith is a gift of God. Dear people, let us therefore seek that kind of faith that Abram exercised The faith that he had in the Lord God, in the Lord God who promises. And seek it with all of your heart. Seek it by prayer. Seek it with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so willing and who is so able to give you what he deems is good for you or for me. He is most pleased to share his gifts with us, you and me. And so... Let us also be ready to live as Abram once lived. And let us believe as Abram once believed. And let us conduct ourselves as he once conducted himself, even in the face of the people in this world. And let us conduct ourselves then also as we are called upon to bury one of our beloved ones as Abram buried his beloved Sarah. Be ready, therefore, to live the life of faith, even if the world thinks that you and I are strange. And if the world does want to take advantage of you or me in respect to our acts of faith, well then, let it take advantage of us. Because in the long run, Your and my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will conquer all. Live the life of faith, therefore, as it is worked in you by the Word and by the Holy Spirit, even as He is pleased to do that in us. Now we know that Sarah's death was a sad time for Abram, but the Lord God directed it in such a way that a monument of faith could be set up right then and there, that is, the cave of Machpelah, and at the same time, our text chapter, Genesis chapter 23, 
in which all of that is described for us. But dear people, there is yet a greater monument of faith for us. It is not a burial place. It is not a cave. Our great monument of faith is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may look to it and we may see the faithfulness of who? Of God the Father and of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ particularly. God the Father, after all, gave his Son to the death of the cross and that in his love for sinners, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But also God the Son showed his faithfulness in being obedient to the Father. This is what the Father wanted. And this is what the Son did in obedience to the Father. God gave his Son. And God gave of himself, therefore, as a sacrifice on the cross for sinners. So that by looking to him they would exercise their faith in him, that is, in Jesus Christ. Now, there are wonderful monuments of faith to be found in the Bible. And it is for you and for me to discover them. Because each monument of faith will direct us to look to Jesus Christ particularly. And this monument of faith is also found here in our text chapter. And we should be very aware of it. Please do not ignore those monuments of faith. Because you see, our text chapter, it was not written to give us merely some insight into some ancient burial practices. No, it was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit to show us how faith interacts in daily life, even in the daily life of death and of grief and of burial arrangements. And so, how does your and my faith interact in your daily life? Do you have this faith in God, or do you just live for the day as it presents itself to you? It's a poor life without faith in God, a poor life. On the other hand, when there is faith in God, life has purpose, life has meaning, And even in the death and burial of a loved one, faith sees it possible to raise a monument of faith. And that monument of faith, dear people, and now I want to become very personal, in that monument of faith, you can show this to your loved ones. And what is that monument of faith? Your most precious text passage or the passage that you would want to be studied on and meditated on when you are buried let me just give you this insight because as a preacher and yes I have buried many many people and it has always been very precious when I was told this is the favorite text of dear brother or dear sister. Preach on it. Therefore, let such a text or such a passage, Bible passage, also become your monument of faith, dear people, whether you're young or old. 
Now, I leave you to ponder this one question, therefore. Do you have the kind of faith that Abram exercised? Amen.